This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Mon Ericot grew up in Jericho. Everywhere I moved, I had to show my identity card to Israeli military checkpost, even if I wanted to leave the country. The former chief representative of the Palestine Liberation Organization now lives in the U.S. And like most other U.S. residents, he saw the George Floyd murder. I just got the goosebumps when you mentioned George Floyd. And, uh, you know, when you are oppressed, you have that natural sympathy and affiliation uh, with them. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Gentrification. Some people say it's good. Some say it's bad. In St. Petersburg, Florida, they're not sure. There's really an incredible amount of investment happening in this city. Uh, but it's it's creating an affordability problem for folks who are from here. Uh, and a lot of that, unfortunately, is playing out in the mostly black neighborhoods uh, of town. Josh Solomon is a reporter for the Tampa Bay Times. This is what's at the heart of the problem. The Tropicana Field property. There are these really grand plans to build something incredible there. Um, and that, that parcel used to be a predominantly black working class neighborhood. What will be done with the Trop property? That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And this is Colors. Well, J.J., um, interesting topic today. Uh, you know, in all American cities over the, um, over the years, there have been um, designated neighborhoods based on people's ethnic background. For example, in Boston, the Irish neighborhood and... Um, the Italian neighborhood, and they didn't mix. There'd be signs up in the Irish neighborhood, no Italians need apply, and that sort of thing. In uh, in New York, um, above 110th Street is Harlem, historically black neighborhood, rich in tremendous culture and very interesting place. Uh, in Washington, where you and I spent so many years, uh, Rock Creek Park, west of Rock Creek Park, white, east of Rock Creek Park, predominantly black. Not so much anymore. That's the way it was. Well, in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is where I am, the dividing line is Central Avenue. North of Central, predominantly white. South of Central, people of color, I don't know, predominantly, but the larger population. Uh, The thing that's happening here, as it happens in other cities, is that St. Petersburg is a boomtown, and the richer parts of town and i guess maybe even the whiter parts of town are beginning to kind of encroach on this wonderful south side of st petersburg historically black area 
And I thought this is something that you and I could talk about with Josh Solomon. He's a reporter with the Tampa Bay Times who has been covering this. So, Josh, say hi to J.J. Green. J.J., Chris, how are you? Hey, Josh. We're we're happy to have you on, and and we appreciate it. Can you talk about the controversy and bring us up to speed? Sure. Um, Well, just like in 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 a lot of cities, like you said, Chris, there's a a, you know, the issue of gentrification uh, looms large in St. Petersburg. Um, There's really an incredible amount of investment happening in this city. Uh, And and so home prices are, are on the rise. Home values are going up. Uh, and, you know, that's uh, in many ways elevating the profile of St. Petersburg um, for, you know, to outsiders. Uh, but it's, it's creating an affordability problem for folks who are from here. Uh, and a lot of that, unfortunately, is playing out in the mostly black neighborhoods uh, of town. What does the city council say about this, this, this issue that you've mentioned? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, they talk about gentrification a lot. Um, but they, they often do it in the in the context of, of uh, a need for affordable housing. Um, and so there are uh, really serious efforts here to try to combat housing affordability, make sure that 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 housing is accessible. Um, and so some of that is, is playing out in terms of using you know, public dollars to acquire land on which to uh, build affordable housing uh, to compel developers basically to hand the land over to, to a developer and then compel that developer using tax credits to build affordable housing. Um, also, it's 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 playing out uh, really strongly in discussions these days about the Tropicana Field property. Uh, the Trop property is this 86-acre, uh, enormous, mostly rectangular, all-city-owned contiguous parcel uh, on which there are these really grand plans to build something incredible there. Um, and that, that parcel used to be a predominantly black working class neighborhood back in the, in the seventies and eighties before it was uh, raised. And ultimately the baseball stadium was built on top of it. Uh, and so, you know, in, in the context of that uh, city council and, and, and really folks all over business owners, res, uh, you know, residences, um, I'm sorry, residents uh, are, are trying to make sure that there's equity in whatever gets built there because it could be, you know, that property, depending on how it goes, could really perpetuate gentrification and uh, be an example, again, of a lack of equity in the city, or it could hopefully, you know, try to address some of those problems in a positive way. And there's one more sort of unique uh, part. It, it, it affects St. Petersburg, but it's also going to affect other cities that are on the coast. And if you can give us just a, a very brief, don't get too deep in the weeds on this, Josh, but a very brief uh, summation of this thing about where housing is going to be able to be built because it has to be someplace that's not as flood prone as um, some areas of town are. Can you explain that and that how that affects the issue about of gentrification? Absolutely. So, uh, and I'll try not to get uh, too far in the weeds here, uh, but there is something called the, the coastal high hazard area. Basically, it's an area that's prone to flooding in a Category 1 storm. Um, and the federal government determines what the coastal high hazard area is and recently updated the maps. And because of things like sea level rise um, uh, and the intensity of storms, uh, that gets all factored in. Uh, the coastal high hazard area in St. Pete grew recently by a lot. Um, and there's a rule in St. Pete that says that you cannot basically build more than there already is within the coastal high hazard area. 
but that would mean that a lot of the city, including some of the major corridors, including some of the areas that are really ripe for redevelopment, uh, you know, you, you, it, would, it would be more difficult to, to, to build on those, on those lands. Uh, and so the city last year went through this like very in-depth and to a degree pretty controversial discussion about whether or not they should change that rule. Of course, on, on one side, there are folks who say, well, we shouldn't be investing more in, in a flood-prone area and putting people you know, uh, at risk because we're going to be building homes and businesses there. And then there are other folks, and this is where the equity component comes in and the gentrification component comes in, who say, well, if we you know, keep those areas off the table, then all of this new investment is going to go into the inland areas, the places of the city that aren't uh, within the coastal high hazard area. And some of those communities are, again, the predominantly uh, working class black communities. And so there was an argument that was made that if we if we don't change the rule, um, then we're going to be perpetuating gentrification. And if we relieve some of this pressure by allowing more construction and more development within the coastal high hazard area, unlimited cases, uh, then we can, you know, in that sense, relieve some of the gentrification pressure as well. Uh, JJ, you and I have seen you and I have seen this happen in 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 Washington, where there were these areas of town, um, U Street, for example, uh, around uh, where Ben's Chili Bowl is and uh, the Lincoln Theater. And that used to be predominantly black area of town with its own vibe and its own culture. And now it just is. not now it's it's um, I don't know if they still use the word yuppie, but it's, uh, you know, millennial headquarters now. Um, and, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, it does have both sides because th- this is new money coming into the t- all these towns. Uh, gentrification is good in that in that it, it does bring in more income and more housing of all kinds, some affordable, hopefully. But boy, it is a shame to see some of this culture go away. And it it tell me from your viewpoint, JG, how does how does it make you feel? Well, you know, the the new money is always welcome, but the problem is are there new ideas about what the reality of this is? You know, looking at this place down in St. Pete, the the Deuces. Um, is a neighborhood called the Deuces down there. And um, you know, it, it reminds me of U Street. Um, where uh, when I first arrived here in Washington, um, the metro, the subway was being constructed. And it was being constructed all over the city, but that particular neighborhood, there there was construction on those streets. You know, I I can recall the, 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 the metal panels and the the boards, the two by fours or whatever you want to call them that were on those streets for years. And in those years, those black owned businesses that had been in families for generations failed. And so, yeah, I've seen the, the gentrification and it does. There is a positive side. The, the money, there is a positive side. But are the ideas new in that? Are these people that are coming in? with the idea that we want to make this equitable for everyone, or are they simply talking about, okay, let's come in, let's do this, um, fix this all up, and and we'll deal with uh, the racial component, uh, the, the, the wealth and the equity and all of that later. Which means it never will happen, probably. Exactly. So, you know, that, that's yeah. my question. Josh, what's your thought on, on it? Josh, what's your thought about this? What, what uh, I, It's interesting, because St. Petersburg is definitely... Um, an integrated city. Um, it's very normal to see people of all races all over the city. 
but um, but you don't want to lose the the culture of where th- these ethnic neighborhoods were. In this case, the black neighborhood on the south side. In the same way, you don't want to lose the culture of the Irish neighborhood or the Italian neighborhood in Boston. Just to use an example, what do you see as some? Because I know you didn't. You're not from here originally. When, but just looking at it, sort of as an outsider, but as a reporter, how do you feel? What is the racial uh, racial temperature in St. Petersburg? Gosh. Um, well, first, I, I, uh, I want to preface this by saying that, that that I'm white. And like you said, I'm not from here. And so, you know, my experience has been learned and not lived. Um, but St. Pete has always been a very segregated town and remains to be today. Uh, you mentioned Central Avenue being a dividing line. Central Avenue is a historic dividing line. And although this obviously isn't isn't, you know, exclusively the case, um, like you said, uh, South or Central is generally uh more black and north of central is um uh, generally more white and so and that that's i mean that's that's legacy stuff that's holdover stuff and and uh st pete still has a lot of work to do to, to really you know integrating the communities um but I, I think as it relates to to the gentrification question the 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 money question the investment question you know is that new money like you said is that being is that being used exclusively or is that being used inclusively? Um, and there's a real uh, 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 motivation, I think, in the city to try to make sure that, you know, when when we're seeing these new, there are cranes all over downtown. I'm, I'm sitting in uh, the Tampa Bay Times office right now in downtown St. Pete. And if you were to look out the window, there are cranes in every direction, you know, and who is benefiting from that construction and that investment? Um, are, is, is the city holistically benefiting from that or is that you know uh driving exclusivity and inequality um and uh it, you know and it's a, i think it's a tension thing i mean uh it, it yet to be seen exactly how this is going to play out josh, uh, as saint petersburg profile ascends josh can i ask you what are, what are the what is the black community there saying about all of this gosh i mean um you know, again, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be seen as speaking for anybody, um, but I mean, there are real concerns about the St. Pete's rising profile and how that, whether it's a rising tide that lifts all boats or whether it's creating a stratification, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and, and that. So that again, I bring up the trap thing one more time. Like a lot of that energy is being driven into the trap site, this because it's this enormous, really game-changing development, uh, and it has racial history, pretty charged racial racial history. Uh, and for a lot of folks, you know, the 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 baseball stadium signifies a real loss, uh, and so is you know it, is what goes there this almost this city within a city uh, scale of development that could like really could change the face of St. Petersburg. Is that going to be you know, uh, a wound on top of a wound for the black community, or is that going to be something that could uh, possibly start to heal those wounds? You know, uh, uh, um, blur those divide those 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 dividing lines and 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 foster a sense of community that we haven't seen. And so, you know, I, I just don't I don't know that that we have an answer yet. Really. Yeah, and and for those just to tr- try to have this make a little bit of sense to those of you unfamiliar with downtown St. Petersburg. This is on the western end of downtown. There was a time when they built Tropicana Field, 
where honestly that there wasn't much going on on the west end of town of downtown St. Petersburg it was pretty sleepy. And so they built Tropicana Field, which is where the baseball team plays and some other teams play there occasionally and they have concerts and so on. It's it, the the lease is up in about six years and, and the either the Rays are going to build a new stadium or they're going to move. But that that property has now become unbelievably valuable and it is literally the last big parcel of land in St. Petersburg that is not fully developed. So something's going there for sure. And this is why the, the battle is going on because this is, this is it. There's no other place like this in the city. And there won't be another place like this in the city. So they got to get this right. And it's a way if we, if it's done right to bring the communities together rather than separate them. And I think that's what the debate, Josh, is all about. Do I, do I sum that up more or less correctly? Absolutely. I think I want to, uh, you know, you had said, um, uh, I believe you called it a fight. Uh, I don't, I don't, it, it's not quite so, I don't think it's so confrontational. I think there's, uh, there's real interest in trying to do this right and doing it right by everybody. Um, but absolutely, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are so many uh, different interests at play and some of them are tugging in opposition to each other. Uh, and so it's just a matter of, you know, what sort of balance are they going to be, or, you know, will, will the city be able to strike on this land? Um, you know, and what that, what, that, what will that look like? And, and will everybody in the community feel comfortable there? Uh, really it's this, it's this exclusive and inclusive play. So Josh, I just wonder from, from, from each of you, just, I'm curious, is it possible for us to preserve these historic neighborhoods uh, forever? Or is that just a pipe dream? Because in reality, gentrification is just going to happen. I'm just curious of, of JJ, your opinion on that and Joss's yours. I mean, everywhere. That did not be St. Petersburg, wherever we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's possible to save these historic sites and do it in a meaningful way and do it in more than just a symbolic economic economically friendly way but to do it in a way that it is uh, indicative of the goodwill and good intent that um, uh, cities and towns and states and neighborhoods have for the history of those neighborhoods and the people who are a part of the history of those neighborhoods as well as being open towards the future because we do need to be clear you do need financial investment and you do need new ideas and new blood to, to move forward. Um, but the, 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 one of the real problems that we run into quite often is that uh, a lot of the big money is only interested in big money, and they will say things that sound good now, but later they change their tune. Mm-hmm. Josh, what do you think? I mean, I think it's absolutely possible. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers as to how to balance uh, uh, this new money and new investment uh, with preservation uh, of community spaces, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. That's a, it's a, it's a, it's a challenging. I think it's a challenging thing, and I think there again, there, there are competing interests to play. I think it's absolutely possible, and I think it's critical. I don't know how that's done. Let me ask you this, Josh. Looking at some of the stuff you've written, you've written several pieces: structural racism in St. Petersburg under scrutiny and new study you wrote the st petersburg and back panel picks its top choice for the trop redevelopment plan and there was also um a couple of other pieces uh regarding the pinellas county you know picking a consultant to negotiate with the rays how has your reporting informed you 
uh, about the depth of the importance of this decision far beyond just St. Petersburg, but other people that are watching it around the country. Uh, how has your reporting informed you about the importance of this situation at this point? I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's impossible to overstate how important this parcel and this decision and what it looks like uh, is for the city. Um, I haven't, frankly, given a lot of thought to what can be extrapolated from it for, you know, for another community or what can be exported to another city. Um, but this, this parcel is, is going to change the face of the city. Uh, and is it going to change the face, you know, of the city in a, in a, in a way that, again, is, is equitable, is accessible, is, uh, you know, does something to bring the community together? Because, like I said before, this remains a very segregated community. Um, or is it going to be, you know, is it going to exacerbate that problem? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really of this decision uh, and the, con- the construction over the next couple decades, because it's going to take that long. It's a huge development. Uh, and really how it's managed, uh, you know, going forward for the next century or so is, is going to have as big of an impact, I think, on uh, once St. Petersburg looks like as a community uh, than anything, than any other thing within St. Pete. Um, Part of the reason why I asked you that question, part of the reason why I asked you that question is because we spoke with a, uh, an alder, alderman, uh, an alder woman from, uh, uh, I think it's Evanston, Illinois, not too long ago, about reparations there. And she said, you know, that board there was, they, they were fully aware that the entire country, they were fully aware that the entire country was going to take a cue from them. And so that's the reason I asked the question, not to put you on the spot, just to see if there was any thinking about how this would resonate around the country. That's all. Yeah. Uh, well, that, and, and in that context, that's a great question. I mean, there have been groups in St. Petersburg calling for reparations. Um, and I think sometimes uh, that word doesn't, doesn't sometimes doesn't get, uh, doesn't resonate very well. Uh, but I think um, this is an opportunity to, th- this project is an opportunity to, you know, hopefully get some of that, what uh, folks who are calling for reparations, uh, what they're looking for. Uh, and I mean, this, this parcel in particular has come up in reparations discussions around the city. Um, there, ha- at least as far as I know, uh, from what I've been watching and the folks I've talked to, there haven't been a lot of discussions about uh, you know, the eyes of the world are on the, you know, the trap project. Um, but certainly, uh, it, you know, within the city, this says, this is talked about in the, uh, it, a, as being of the utmost importance for this community. Well, uh, I know you've got, you got work to do and thank you for your, your good work on, um, on covering this for the Tampa Bay times. And we, we really appreciate your taking time out of your incredibly busy day. This guy, I have to say, uh, JJ, Josh is one of the hardest working people in the news business because his byline is everywhere. They keep him moving all the time. And, um, so you took time to talk to us and we definitely appreciate it. Thank you so much. Chris, JJ, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Josh. You're listening to Colors. Ebony Thomas, I am Black, and I am in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is so uh, incredibly heartbreaking, I will say, on a personal level. I mean, when you when you see the images and you see these individuals being attacked for no apparent reason, 
And I think the other thing that also disturbs me so much are the people who are standing by watching, yes. right? This bystander. And I often wonder what's it, what's going through your mind at that moment where you see this happening and you stand by. And so I think we have a real challenge um, in America right now. I think we have a real challenge of um how do we feel comfortable standing up when we know something is wrong, right? Um, what is our role in, in truly having a voice in any situation, whether it be um, watching a fellow American citizen or American, you know, uh, a fellow uh, uh, Asian Pacific Islander individual be uh, discriminated against or, and, and physically assaulted, whether you see, uh, you know, uh, my, my black son on, 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 the, on the sidewalk and, and, uh, and, and, on the ground, like we, we all have a place and a hand and being able to do something. And so I think that for me is the big messages. Um, at. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Chris, I think Josh is a really a thoughtful reporter. And I mean, thoughtful in the sense, not that he is kind and benevolent and all that. I mean, he really thinks about things. And you could kind of tell during some of the pauses uh, during the program, we talking to him and he stopped to think about some of the questions that we were asking him or some of the situations. Uh, and I think that is very important when you, when you're covering something like this race uh, and, you know, how that impacts neighborhoods, people, history um, and the future. Uh, and I kind of thought too, though, that he actually, um, may have, uh, may be onto something there in terms of this being a, as big as he says it is for the future of St. Petersburg and, and, and maybe even Florida. Yeah. It, well, it definitely is, is, this is the future of St. Petersburg one way or the other. And this is the time to decide, uh, the government here is progressive. Um, so I think the, the, they're leaning toward we have to figure out a way to make this community better and, and fairer and more equal. So I, I have some some optimism about it. But I agree. He's a very good reporter. So, J.J., you and I have been doing this uh, podcast, Colors, for uh, a year. We started right after uh, Memorial Day of last year, and this is Memorial Day weekend. Um, and I am going to step aside after a year and give others the opportunity to fill this chair. And um, and I'll still contribute from time to time, but not on a, a weekly basis. But it got me thinking, um, what have I learned from being a co-host with you on this podcast for a year? And I've learned uh, three things for sure. I have learned that I will never really know what it's like to be black. No matter my good intentions, no matter how much I try, I just simply won't get it completely. I'll try, but I won't know what it's like to be you. And I've learned that this is called white privilege and that most white people, maybe all white people, don't give it a second thought. I wake up in the morning and I don't think about my skin color. I don't have to look twice uh, at, you know, when I go into a store or if the police pull me over, whatever. I don't have to think about that. And I never really gave it any thought about that privilege. But that is white privilege. I, I have something that you don't have. And it, it breaks my heart that that's the case. But I, I recognize that it's real. And then the third thing that I have learned from doing this show with you is that there is more to the concept of reparations than I'd ever considered. 
Josh mentioned in his interview that, you know, some people that strikes the wrong way. It did me too, as you know, but the more I thought about it, the more I saw that there is something there. I don't know all the details yet, but I have learned not to sort of dismiss that idea as silly because it isn't. So I'm curious, uh, what have you learned from doing this with me over this last year? Well, um, you have been one of the best broadcast partners that I've ever had in previous years. And there's no doubt about it, you're the best podcast partner I've ever had. (laughs) I've only had one, but um, I don't know that I could find a better one for this particular subject. Um, I mean, even if we were talking sports, I don't think I could find a better podcast partner to talk about sports with me. If we were talking about um, national security, I don't think I could find a better podcast partner to talk about this. And a part of the reason for that, Chris, is that you are one of the you're one of the few people. uh, I mean, this people like you don't come along very often because you possess this ability to grasp topics and issues Uh, and think about them, turn them around, and put them out there in a way that people understand them better. Uh, The the point that I'm making is you you have this ability to stimulate people's thinking and discussion, and there are very few people that I know that can do that. And that's well, the thing. That's the thing that has driven uh, this this dialogue for me for for this year, is knowing that I've got a partner that can do that and carry that that side of it. It doesn't hurt that you're white and I'm black, and talking on this program about that. But the fact that you have those skills, those skills, um, have made this just the, the honor of a lifetime. Well, thank you. I. I I hope there's one thing, though, that that um, that you learned about about race relations that because there are several times during this last year that you seem to be surprised how many white people cared about the issue of George Floyd and, and justice and equality and and doing something about racism, because you several times you said there, there were a lot of white people there. And, and I hope that that's something that that everybody understands that white people, you know, we maybe we do have white privilege. We have all that, but a lot of us care and care deeply. And probably the majority of white people care. May not get it all, but we care. And and I hope that's. I think. Am I right that that has been a little bit surprising for you to find out the the depth of of caring in the white community? No, I don't. I think you've kind of misinterpreted that. Uh, I am no stranger to white people. Never have been and (laughs) never will be. Yeah, Uh, I know that. (laughs) And I understand uh, white people much more than you and even this audience is going to know. Um, But the point that I'm making here and what I'm getting at is I was surprised about the reactions of white people when some of these things came along, like the George Floyd protest. I was surprised about the, the turn, the change in the general white population's response, not that white people responded that way, but I'm talking about the massive response, the massive change. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's, that's what surprised me. No, I know that um, there are really wonderful white people out there. There are really wonderful, really wonderful black folks and people of all races. There, you just can't, you simply cannot 
uh, you simply cannot lump people into some monolithic group. And I've said that on a number of occasions on this oh, yeah. program. Yep. So the thing, yeah, I had, I did learn what you said. I did learn that the white people in large numbers cared about this. And that was the thing that was remarkable to me. But I want to say something that I've learned that you haven't solicited me to talk about. Uh, and that is we don't have very many opportunities left like this to engage this way. And a part of the reason I'm saying this is because of right now, this this country, the, the world, in fact, is going through a phase where it's uncertain uh, about a lot of things. A lot of people are taking off ramps to do things that, you know, they don't necessarily they're not necessarily interested. They don't know what they're going to do, but. A lot of people recognize that there's a lot of chaos in the world and a lot of chaos in this country right now. And the more we talk about it, you know, the more confusing it gets. And what I'm saying here right now is just take a look back at what took on the 6th of January at the Capitol. We knew what happened. We knew we saw it play out. But still we have people on the Hill that are denying that it took place. We have people we we know how the election turned out. But still, we have people that are denying that the election was fair. What's happening in our country right now is that there has been this influence, and I'm not going to say where it came from, but there has been this influence that is suggested to us as a nation that it's okay to lie, that it's okay to be deceptive, deceitful. And people now are in a situation where being truthful is risky. And so... The fact that we've had this honest, brutal, sometimes raw dialogue when we think back to a guy like Shelby Steele. I mean, and, you know, thank you for bringing him to us uh, and John Boyd and some other people like Michelle Singletary. People are beginning, in my opinion, to shy away from those opportunities because they don't want to put themselves or their families or their lives at risk. And this is a part of the reason why this is so important right now, because we can actually give people the sense of calm and the sense of understanding that this has to continue. This has to happen, because if we don't, then we've got a big problem. That's one of the things that I've learned from this podcast with you. All right. Well, uh, we'll wrap this one up. Just let me say right back to you. um, You're a very good broadcaster. And, uh, you know, even though we've known each other for so long, uh, it's been been really nice working with you for this last year I, our, our our friendship is more uh, intimate and and deeper than it's ever been and and i do appreciate that so thank you jj i'm chris core and i'm white i'm jj green and i'm black and this is colors coming up in our next episode of colors what does the world think about America's race problems? There are some uh, reports uh, on the Chinese press saying that uh, even 90% of the population has changed its perception about uh, uh, America after these uh, racial attacks. Francesco Sisi, an Italian journalist who lives in China, says some of it we take with a grain of salt. Certainly there is an element of propaganda in it. But he says there's some ground truth in that sentiment, and it's not just in China. There is a concern, a worry, 
uh, about uh, Asians, uh, being Asian in America. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. So it's time to go, and this time we're going to do something a little special. This is not the end of Chris Kaur's presence on Colors, as he said. He's just going to take on a different role. For those of you who don't know, Chris retired from being an everyday journalist a couple of years ago to sail off into the sunset, and literally that's what he's been doing, boating down off the coast of St. Pete. And he's pretty good at it. I call him Captain Core to myself. But after the turmoil of George Floyd's death, he responded to my call in 2020 to come out of retirement and do this program. It was a really unselfish and generous thing for him to do. But now, after a year, he wants to step back. And who am I to begrudge him that opportunity? There's no real way to thank him to the degree that he deserves. But I'm going to try to do it anyway on every single show we do moving forward by continuing to promote the idea of bringing people of different races together to talk about race. And as we offer our thanks to him, we also thank his lovely wife, Anne, who helped us with a lot of ideas, and his wonderful daughter, Tabitha. And to the rest of our great crew, thank you, Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Dimitri Sotis, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Sean Anderson, Peggy Byard, Angelie Chong, Joby Warwick, Jeru Bande, Audrey Hansen, College to Congress, and Gina Bazemore. And of course, for our music, we want to thank Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. And as always, remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.